The following program is for informational and educational purposes only. This program does not replace medical, mental health, or psychological diagnosis and treatment prescribed by your personal physician, psychologist, therapist, or other health care provider. Please consult your provider for diagnosis and care before beginning or changing any program or idea discussed. Welcome to Psych Up Live with your host, Dr. Suzanne Phillips. This is the show that brings you a psychological perspective on common and current life issues. Here is Dr. Suzanne Phillips. Hi, I'm Suzanne Phillips. Thanks for joining me again on Psych Up Live. As individuals, families, schools, communities, congregations, we have suffered during this pandemic. We have faced loss of life as we knew it and the embrace in life of loved ones we've treasured. We've experienced a broad range of feelings, fear, anger, helplessness, even hopelessness. What do we do with these feelings? How do we cope with them in a way that allows us to keep moving forward? Our guest today has something important to offer us. Dr. Kristen Neff is the recognized pioneer in the field of self-compassion. She's the author of the important book, Self-Compassion, The Proven Power of Being Kind to Yourself. Self-compassion may sound simple or simplistic, but when you really understand it, it is as profound in addressing our negative feelings and self-judgments as it is powerful in enhancing our coping. It is the reason I knew it was crucial, and I'm so delighted to have Dr. Neff back on Psych Up Live. Dr. Neff is an associate professor of educational psychology at the University of Texas at Austin. As a pioneer, she was doing self-compassion research 10 years ago and continues to do research in this area. In addition to her book, she's written numerous articles and book chapters. She has given workshops worldwide. You can find her in TED Talks on YouTube, and more recently, in conjunction with Dr. Chris Germer, she has developed an empirically supported eight-week training program on mindful self-compassion. Dr. Kristen Neff, it is my privilege to welcome you back to Psych Up Live. Oh, thank you so much, Suzanne. I'm happy to be here. So, Dr. Neff, when people think about building their coping skills, they think of getting stronger physically and emotionally, so they don't automatically think of self-compassion. In fact, they sometimes associate self-compassion with self-pity, wallowing in the negative. Help us understand the power of self-compassion. Yes, it's it's such a shame that people assume that self-compassion is weak, um, because what the research shows is that it's absolutely one of the most powerful sources of strength, coping, and resilience we have available to us. So really, self-compassion is um, just a mindset. It's a mindset of treating yourself with warmth, with kindness, um, being supportive, being encouraging to yourself, having your own back. Um, And clearly, when you're dealing with any difficult situation, whether it's the pandemic, whether it's a health issue, whether it's a relationship issue, or just the fact that you're a human being and you make mistakes and you you fail and you you have other struggles, um, the ability to give yourself support just like you would give that support to a good friend makes all the difference in your ability to cope and survive and get through. Uh, so, So really, it's it's simply... 
Very simply, it's being compassionate to yourself the same way you're compassionate to others. It's, it's not rocket science. It's just mm-hmm. you doing a U-turn so that you include yourself in the circle of compassion. You know, um, in some ways, people have said, well, I try not to be negative. So I push the negative thoughts out. And I think you even spoke a friend about a friend who tried this. And I have so many patients who very earnestly have tried this. Push out the negative thoughts, just focus on the positive. But yes. much as your friend just got exhausted and didn't feel any better, people want to know, well, what do we mean? You're really saying don't push the negative feelings away. Embrace them with compassion and humanity. Yes. I mean, so, you know, if it worked to push the negative feelings away, I would say go for it. (laughs) But unfortunately, it doesn't. I mean, there's a ton of psychological research showing that when you try to suppress or repress or ignore negative emotions, um, they they may go underground. But first of all, they're going to lodge in your body. They they can lead to things like physical health problems, um, stress, hypertension. Um, it, it's often they actually get worse. It's almost like that the energy you give that emotion by suppressing it actually keeps that emotion locked into place and allows it to, um, it makes it stronger and lasts longer. I mean, the research is very clear on this. Uh, so normally a negative emotion, it, it comes up, it arises, and it lasts for a while, but it naturally fades away. And if we resist it, it actually locks it into place. So the idea is when you have a negative emotion, you're just aware of it, you acknowledge it, and really importantly, you give yourself kindness and compassion because it hurts to feel that. You know, just as you would with a friend, you would say, oh, I'm so sorry you're feeling this way. Is there anything I can do to help? And when you have that supportive stance toward yourself, it actually allows the negative emotion to um, resolve itself more more quickly. You know, just this morning, I, I read to a friend on the phone who... Just to make it a little bit more concrete, the little mantra that you that you offer in the book, and maybe we'll put it out there so we will really make it clear from the start. I, I said to her, you know, it's you read these things in the books, but unless you actually try them yeah. and you keep using them, they don't become a part of you. And I said to her, actually, I, all week I've been trying this. Uh because I feel like I can't talk about it if I don't use it. And I've been so surprised, Kristen, how it has moved me from I have a I have a wound on my leg and it had all kinds of complications. And I started blaming myself about it. So I started saying your little mantra. This is a moment of suffering. Suffering is a part of life. May I be kind to myself in this moment. May I give myself the compassion I need. And the more I tried to memorize it and I thought about it, it happened that all of a sudden I was actually in a different place. I was much more focused on how I could remember to be mindful and and compassionate about what I was dealing with rather than blameful. And so I said to her, write it and then try to memorize it if you can, because then you'll see the real value of it. Rather than just reading about it, you'll actually yeah. be doing it. Yes, absolutely. Yes. So so really that little mantra is it's very simple, but it, what it does is it brings in the three core components of self-compassion. So compassion, you know, it entails kindness, like treating yourself like you would a friend you cared about. But there's two other components that are really important. The first is mindfulness. So and you said, you know, it helps you be mindful. Well, you can't be compassionate without being mindful of pain. If you aren't aware of pain, 
right? Or you're lost in the pain. You actually have no perspective to give yourself compassion. So just saying, hey, this hurts. And if you don't like the word suffering, some people think it's too dramatic. You can just say, this hurts. Ouch, you know. Um, but this is part of life. See, what happens is when, when we have something painful happen, or especially when we make a mistake or feel inadequate, we have this illogical sense like, this isn't supposed to be happening. Something is, something's abnormal here. You know, as if what's supposed to be happening is perfection and as if everyone else in the entire universe is having a perfect life and it's just me who's failed or it's just me who's got a wound on their leg or whatever the, the struggle is. And, and and that's when we can actually fall into self-pity. Self-pity is not helpful. Self-pity is very self-focused, like woe is me. Compassion, by definition, means to suffer with. We remember that, hey, this is part of life. I'm not abnormal. There's nothing wrong with me for having this, you know, this difficult occurrence. This is this is what it means to be human. So when, re- when we're mindful, when we remember that we're human and human life entails struggle and hardship, I, actually, it actually connects me to others as opposed to separating me from others. And then we're just simply kind to ourselves, just like we would be to anyone we cared about. Um, those three components together are radically powerful. They, they counteract shame. They counteract self-criticism. They, they, they activate um, a different nervous system. They activate your parasympathetic nervous system, which is the one that calms you down as opposed to the one where we're, you know, fight, flight, or freeze response. So it has physiological benefits. It has lots of mental health benefits. It's so simple and so easy. And, you know, you don't have to meditate for half an hour each day to, to be self-compassionate. You just have to remember, oh, yeah, I'm hurting. Can I be kind to myself? <laughs> you know, like I say, it's easy. Well, Christine, could you give the example you give in your book, and, and I've heard it before, but I always think it's so powerful, of you in the playground with your little guy. How old is your son now? Yeah. <laughs> he's 18 now. He's got oh, a goatee. He's driving. He's like, oh, God bless. Yeah. I've, been, I've been doing this more like 20 years. You know, it feels like 10 years, but yes. I've been at it a long time. Okay. But yeah, so I'll, yeah, so it's a, it's a, um, it's a story of when, he, well, he's he's autistic. My son's autistic. And when he was younger, his, his autism was much more severe. Um, and I remember one time I was at the playground with him. He was maybe four or five. And, you know, it was a beautiful day. And all the kids were playing with each other and interacting with their parents, seemingly having this wonderful time. Uh, and at that point, Rome was just, he was on the slide by himself. He was, you know, stimmy. He was like self-stimulating. He was banging the slide, lost in the sound. Was it interacting with the other kids? Was it interacting with me? Um, you know, and I'll admit it. I, I started to go down the path of self-pity. I started feeling feeling like, you know, why me? Why can't I have a normal, unproblematic relationship with my child like all these other parents here? But, you know, I caught myself because of my self-compassion practice. And I said, wait a second, Kristen. I mean, yeah, maybe it's not autism, but surely these parents will have struggles with their kids. It could be another mental health issue, some physical challenge, or at the very least, every single one of these parents are bound to have some sort of conflict or challenge with their kids because that's what it means to be a parent. You know, being a parent isn't about having it all go perfectly. Being a parent is we struggle, we do our best, and we love our kids as best we can. And so the moment I made that that reframe, so, you know, and that was really the, the three components. I was mindful of the fact that it was hard. 
I was I remembered the common humanity that I was connected. And just as I, I was kind of moved by my own um, suffering to give myself some kindness to give myself a break, it radically transformed my ex- my experience in that moment. Mm-hmm. And so we, we can do that all day long. Again, it's really just a shift of mind state. Remembering that we're struggling, having a little perspective on it so we aren't so lost in it and we aren't repressing it. And remembering that it's human, you know, that we aren't alone. And then just giving ourselves a little kindness. And by the way, the kindness isn't always giving yourself a break. Sometimes you need tough love. Sometimes you need to be fierce, you know. Sometimes to alleviate our suffering, we might need to say no or protect ourselves, or we need to change your behavior, you know, or we need to do something different. So compassion isn't all about acceptance. It's also about making healthy change. Mm. It's really really just giving ourselves whatever we need in that moment. So let's... Let's pass this forward. We may have to take a break in in between, but many parents are very worried about their children, whether they are kindergarten, middle school, or college kids. And they feel feel guilty, and they feel compassionate for their children. They're saying, oh, my God, they have nothing. They don't have the usual college. He doesn't get to play soccer. Um, She needs to see other children. So how do we pass forward? this self-compassion technique or tool, which is such a very enhancing one in terms of hard times, how do you pass that forward to a five-year-old who says, I, I don't ever see anybody? Yeah. And so, I mean, one, I might say one benefit of this this uh, difficult time is you can use it as a time to teach your kids self-compassion and for you to practice self-compassion because it'll serve you and your child well, you know, once after this pandemic's over, because there will be other forms of suffering in our life. So th- there's a lot of ways to teach it to others. And we know that modeling helps. So if you observe someone saying being self-compassionate, you know, kind of, uh, you know, so you can just say, this is really hard, you know, but we aren't alone. Everyone's going through this. It's not just us. You know, how can we be kind and supportive toward ourselves during this yeah. difficult time? And so when, when you model that, that kind of acknowledgement of common humanity, uh, the, the acknowledgement of the pain, not, you don't pretend it's not there, but you also don't wallow in it. You know, it's just like, okay, this is what's happening. This hurts. What can we do? What do we need right now? You know, you can even just ask your child, what do you need right now? You know, and of course, it's going to have to be in the realm of what's possible. Yeah, maybe you can't do the things you would normally do. But what else can we do that would help meet some of those needs? And then you're really modeling meeting needs, which is so important. Well, and the difference is rather than just trying to guess or saying, okay, let's do something and and the mom come up with the or the dad come up with the distraction or an alternative plan is that you prefaced it by validating the feeling, the loss, the loneliness, the regret, so that naming and owning and embracing a feeling doesn't become a thing that's uh, negative or, or avoided. Yes, exactly. Right. So just kind of um, acknowledging your child's pain. Right. And and it is painful. And then acknowledging your own pain um, and kind of holding it with warmth. So really, the, the key to psychological being is not that you know, avoid suffering your whole life. I mean, if you can, if you can do it, great, but you know, good luck with that one. 
right? So it happens. That's part of being a human being. But when we hold pain with, with love, with kindness, with warmth, what happens is instead of our awareness being just in the pain, right? So that's all we're feeling. When we're kind toward ourselves because it hurts, you know, oh, this is really hard. Actually, what you're doing is you're activating the parts of the brain associated with the care system. And the, the care system is what makes us feel safe. It, what ma- it helps us feel connected, right? It's actually rewarding when we feel caring and connected. And so you can use any moment of struggle as an opportunity to experience compassion. And believe it or not, compassion is a positive emotion, So even though the negative emotion is still there, it's like you aren't just feeling the negative emotion. You're also feeling the positive emotion of compassion toward that pain. And I think you've written about and the studies show, which means you're not going to be in the stress state where your body's releasing stress hormones and cortisol, etc. You'll be in a different neurophysiological state is what you're saying. Right, exactly. So, so when we're stressed or when we're really upset or when we're really frightened and when we're judging ourselves, absolutely what happens is we go into fight, flight, or freeze mode. So we either fight ourselves or like we flee into shame, kind of, you know, imagining other people are going to judge us so that we, you know, kind of we, we hang our head in shame or we freeze, we get stuck, we ruminate. And all those three um, responses activates the sympathetic nervous system, which is cortisol, you know, it increases our blood pressure pressure and this is what leads to things like hypertension or um, or depression or anxiety and so what we know with self-compassion and um, when we're just kind of aware of our pain we remember we aren't alone we're kind to ourselves it reduces cortisol and it increases heart rate variability which allows us to be more flexible to, to respond more flexible to whatever our situation is mm. and so we know that it actually improves immune function right it, re- it reduces the stress on your body uh, and, and it's, it's pretty so, powerful it's pretty powerful I mean, it's really it's like this we have the superpower in our own back pocket and we don't even know we can use it. We actually don't give ourselves permission to use it because we think it'll make us soft when, in fact, it just makes us strong. Okay, on that note, we're going to take a break. You've been listening to Psych Up Live, and we're lucky enough to have, as a return guest, Dr. Kristen Neff. We're talking about self-compassion, particularly at this time when so many are struggling. She's the author of the important book, Self-Compassion, The Proven Power of Being Kind to Yourself. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Tune in every week for Making Action Happen, hosted by Sarah Blackhurst. The program takes you inside Action 22, a Colorado-based community outreach organization established in 1999. The show focuses on public policies, both politically driven or not, which have ongoing and immediate impact on the Colorado community and the world. It doesn't matter where you are, you can make action happen. Listen Thursdays at 12 noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time, and 1 p.m. Mountain Time on Voice America Variety. Planning for college? 
Tune in to Getting In, a college coach conversation for tips, techniques, and insider perspectives. Hosted by Elizabeth Heaton, a former admissions officer at the University of Pennsylvania and featuring her fellow admissions and college finance experts from Bright Horizons College Coach. The show shares what colleges are really looking for and how to highlight your hard-won achievements for the best chance at success. New episodes air every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Join hosts Navanav every week for Good Morning Canada. Our home is Canada, but our message and reach is boldly global. Our focus is on the alternative perspective, the hidden dimension, and the expansive horizon. Ideas are designed to be challenged, perceptions shattered, and information balanced. We invite you to visualize the converse viewpoint, dare to be inquiring, but always promise an hour of lively fun. Listen worldwide at 12 noon Eastern Time, 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. A brave heart is anyone with the courage to be of service to others. If you have that courage, then Brave Hearts Radio with Brian Reinbold is for you. Even if you aren't yet, you'll want to still tune in to get inspired, create your own story to share, and change your life for the better. Listen to the stories of service and courage shared by amazing guests and your input too. Listen for Brave Hearts Radio Mondays at 4 p.m. Eastern Time and 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Remember, doing good anywhere does good everywhere. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to Psych Up Live. Join in our conversation today by calling Dr. Suzanne Phillips or her guest at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to radiohostphillips at gmail.com. Now, back to Psych Up Live. Welcome back, folks. We're here with Dr. Kristen Neff, and we're really expanding our discussion on self-compassion. In this section, I'm going to be asking Kristen two important to look at two important areas. And the first one is, does it mean by being self-compassionate, Kristen, that we're opting out of self-esteem, or if we encourage our children to be self-compassionate, does that mean they're going to have less self-esteem? Right. So um, you might say that actually the answer is no. Uh, You might say that self-compassion is a healthy form of self-esteem. So self-esteem is really, you know, a positive judgment of self-worth. It's liking yourself as opposed to hating yourself, thinking you're a worthy person as opposed to being a worthless person. Um, But there are different ways to get our high self-esteem. So if we're, if we're self-compassionate, if we're kind to ourselves, it's kind of a healthy, unconditional form of self-esteem. It's there for us when we fail as well as when we succeed. Um, most, of the, most of the ways we get our self-esteem, though, actually aren't so healthy. For instance, we get our self-esteem by feeling as special and above average. It's not okay to be average. And that means we're always comparing ourselves to others. We feel bad when others succeed or trying to like subtly put other people down so we can feel better about ourselves in contrast. Um, For instance, we know the reason kids start to bully other kids is to boost their self-esteem so they can feel stronger and cooler and more powerful than this other kid. You know, that's not healthy. Uh, And also self-esteem is 
almost always contingent. In other words, it's there for us when we succeed, you know, when we win that athletic competition or we get the grades we want or we look in the mirror and we like what we see. But what happens when we fail? I mean, failure is part of life. You know, we, we can't always be popular or we can't always, you know, do, do our best. What do we do then? So, so self-esteem, you might say, is a fair-weather friend. It's there mm-hmm. for us in the good times and not in the bad times. Mm-hmm. And that's precisely where self-compassion steps in. When, we're fa- when we fail, when people reject us, when we feel inadequate, then we can give ourselves some kindness. So it's really a much more unconditional self, so, source of self-worth. And our research shows it's much more stable. We did one study. We, we measured sense of self-worth, I think, 12 times over eight months. And it was how self-compassionate people were, not their level of self-esteem, that predicted that constant, stable feeling of self-worth over time. Well, you know, when when I've thought of it in different contexts, one thing you said that's so important in the book, it's that self-esteem doesn't give us achievement or cause achievement. It's more like achievement eventually evolves into self-esteem, but part of the achievement comes originally from the self-compassion. So if you have a a little basketball player and every time he misses a compassionate coach or a parent is that, okay, buddy, take it, next ball, next ball, you you know how to do it. Or if someone doesn't do well on the test and we invite a kind of growth mindset, okay, let's be curious. What was on this that was mystifying? The chance of the child hanging in, the chance of the adult hanging in, Chris, is so much more likely because they haven't been sabotaged by that contingency of, I wasn't the highest scorer. I don't even think I want to play on the team anymore. There's nowhere to go with that kind of fragile self-esteem. Exactly. So um, we know with self-compassion, it gives you growth mindset, like you said, instead of, you know, saying, oh, this just means I'm a failure. It's like, no, what can I, how can I learn from this? I mean, it's such a truism. Failure is our best teacher. And yet with self-esteem, what happens when we fail is we're so overcome by shame that we actually have no mental resources to learn from our failure. We just want to hang our heads and quit. And so self-compassion, it gives us this sense of, well, how can I learn from this? Of course, everyone fails. It's normal. It's natural. I don't hate myself for it, but I care and I want to do better next time. So how can I encourage myself to learn and grow from this situation? And it's just so much more healthy and stable. I I once was doing a a camp with military children, and it's so interesting how children offer it. So one little boy was saying, oh, I know how to play this game. This is concentration where they're picking little boxes up and remembering what's underneath it. And then, of course, he made a lot of mistakes. So he pushed the boxes off the table and all the other, they're about eight years old. The other little ones were watched him and we put the back boxes back on and a little girl moved from her place, Christian, all the way over to him. And she said, you know what? I'm going to help you this time. We'll do it together. And I thought, isn't this amazing? And he proceeded with her as his little self-compassionate friend yes. to go on. But so that's, we need an internal little person like that who allows us to take the breath. I, I sometimes think of self-compassion is when, it's like when your computer stops and says, wait, we're getting more space for more data. If we could just use it as a pause button, it really allows you not to run your head into a wall with self-criticism. 
That's right. That's right. Yes. And that, and that's what it does. But by taking the perspective toward ourselves that we normally take toward a friend or a loved one, it gives us that little bit of space, that little bit of a pause. Instead of, you know, running away with the story, it's like just like that little girl was able to see that boy's unhappiness, you know, because she had some distance from it. She wasn't lost in the, the sense of frustration. Mm-hmm. And so when, we, when, we're, when we're a friend to ourselves, it's like instead of being lost in the frustration, we step outside of ourselves mentally and say, wow, this is I'm really upset right now. You know, how can I help myself in this moment? Uh, and that's partly why it's so so powerful, because it means that we aren't so fused with our negative emotions so that we lose all perspective. Now, one of the other areas that people talk about and you talk about uh, in the book, and as, as well as in the Mindful Self-Compassion Workbook, is the real sort of self-loathing that comes from an inner critic. That even as the person's trying to try something new like this, there's a kind of, you think this is going to work, you know people don't like you, no one really has ever befriended you, that's why you're alone. How do we help someone who carries that sad burden with them? Yeah. So, um, well, first of all, inner criticism is very normal. Actually, inner criticism, believe it or not, is a safety mechanism uh, it, it doesn't <laughs> doesn't actually help to make us safe, but we think it's going to make us safe. Mm. We think that there's there's many ways that we think self criticism makes us safe. Uh, for one, we feel like if we if we beat others to the punch, if we criticize ourselves before others can criticize us, it's like well we've already accepted it, so it's not going to hurt so bad. So that's one way it keeps keeps us safe. Uh, we also think that somehow by being so harsh with ourselves, we're going to change, right? We're going to change in some way so that we don't make these mistakes and then we'll be safe. And the other thing it does is it gives us the illusion of control. You know, the inner critic thinks, well, you could have gotten that right if you had just tried a little harder. You know, and in some ways it feels safer to think that we have, we have control theoretically than to realize actually we're human beings and we don't have as much control as we think we do. And so when we remember that our inner critic is trying to keep us safe, it's just that unfortunately it actually doesn't do a very good job of it. It's actually what keeps us much more safe is feeling caring and connected toward ourselves. But this part of ourselves, you know, it's, it's given to us by evolution, right? So the, the fact that the brain has this threat defense mechanism is, is served us very well when we are running away from lions and it just isn't serving us so well now when we're running away from the thought, you know, I look so fat in this dress, you know, our, our, we react the same way. Um, and so when, but when we remember that we're just trying to keep ourselves safe, instead of like, you don't want to beat yourself up for beating yourself up. Right. But, okay. I'm just trying to be safe. Everyone wants to be safe. Okay, well, thank you, this inner critical voice. Thank thank you for trying to keep me safe. I, I hear you. You're saying there's something, a threat I need to pay attention to. Thank you, I hear you. But actually, I think I'm going to try to make myself safe the way I might try to make my child safe mm. or the way I might try to make my good friend safe is by letting them know I'm there for them, I can, I'll support them, that I'll be there you know, through the situation and that I'll help in whatever way is needed. And that's actually going to end up making you more safe in reality. Now, one of the things we mentioned at the break was a study for those who were suffering with feelings of shame and self-judgment because of skin condition, ac- acne, chronic acne. Mm-hmm. And and they were asked, and the, the question that I'm asking behind the example is, they were asked to write five compassionate com- 
um, phrases about themselves on cards. Things like, I would accept a friend of mine in my position. I would want to be with myself. It's not true that people will reject me because I have acne. I have inner strength to fight my distress and my role in creating it, etc. And right. then in this study, they were asked to read the cards three times a day for two weeks. Now, so when I thought about it, I thought that those who were willing to do it, the dramatic result, as you write about it, is not only was there less depression and shame, but they actually had even less physical symptoms, less pain about from this condition. So tell us, what is it? Is it important then that we do things like um, remind ourselves a few times or have certain routines until this becomes more natural to us. Yeah, so... um it, so it does feel awkward at first. I will admit it because we're, you know, it doesn't feel awkward to, to criticize ourselves or even to swear at ourselves. We're used to that. Right, right. So it, it feels a little awkward at first. Um, so it can really help to to do to have reminders because um, self-compassionate letter writing is also very powerful. Just, you know, if you write yourself a letter as if you're writing it to a good friend, that helps. Um, so, so really anytime... Your, your mindfulness bell, so to speak, your reminder bell is suffering. So anytime you notice you're suffering in, in any way, you're feeling distressed or, you know, you're feeling confused or you're feeling sad or you're feeling anxious, that's actually your reminder. Oh, yeah, that's right. I need some self-compassion. Mm-hmm. So you can, you, can, you can put Post-it notes um, up on the wall if that helps. Or, you know, you could just simply say, okay, well, what would I say to a good friend who was feeling, had this exact same situation? And then and then it comes quite easily, and then you can say it with yourself. Mm-hmm. So, so I think people are different. You know, so doing meditations helps some people. It's not necessary, but it can be helpful. Uh, so I think just finding what works for you in terms of reminding yourself of this new way of being. And then after a while, it becomes habitual. And what you said at the beginning and what you, of course, talk about in the Mindful Self-Compassion course is to stop for one minute and mindfully think, what am I feeling? I'm feeling disdain. I'm feeling I'm a failure at this. I'm feeling etc. And then I, I love the piece where you ask yourself, but how would I feel if someone else told me they felt this way because of the mistake they made or because of something they did? Or, or some aspect of their life. As soon as you flip it to the other person, the compassion possibility becomes very much more real. That's right. That's right. And, and part of that is because we don't feel threatened by the repercussion. Yes, like the so, little girl. Right, yeah, right. And so so it actually allows us to draw on this other way we have the feeling safe, which is like the tend and befriend response. So as, as human beings, we evolved, you know, the, those ancestors who were worried and self-critical passed on their genes, but but also those ancestors who could help other people they were more their groups were more likely to survive and they passed down their genes. So both both are natural. Both are natural ways of dealing with some sort of threat. Um, so we're actually instinctually for ourselves, when we're threatened, we tend to use the, the threat defense, you know, attack response. And when others are threatened and we aren't personally threatened, we tend to more habitually use the compassion care response. Mm-hmm. But they're both natural responses. We just have to train ourselves to remember that we have this other option. Uh, I, I like that you're reminding all of us that the inner critic is, of course, what ke- helped us survive. And 
actually any feeling we have because we're human is fits. The question is choosing those feelings that allow us to move forward. Yes, exactly. And so we don't want to suppress them. We don't want to judge them, but we don't want to be taken over by them either. We don't want to be controlled by them. And so that's where having a little space around them and saying, okay, I'm feeling this. And it's, you know, not only the mindfulness is this is what I'm feeling, but the warmth of, oh, this is, you know, the kind of, oh, that kind of sense of caring, concern. I, I wish it weren't so. It is so. We need to accept that it is so. But I wish that it weren't so. And is there anything I can do to help? That, that question, the quintessential self-compassion question is, what do I need right now? And just asking the question is a radical change. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And at a time in all of our lives where people are so anxious, self-compassion is really um, helps the, the dysregulation. Absolutely. It is an emotional regulation strategy, if you want to use that term. It's a way of dealing with overwhelming, very distressing emotions in a way that's healthy and productive. Now, we have so many people who are caregivers at this point, Chris. How can they use self-compassion to sustain in situations where the results are not always want them what they want them to be? The situations they're working in are very compromised. How would we help them adjust this for them? Well, so, so self-compassion is essential for caregivers. And it's actually more important than self-care. You know, self-care, eating well, doing yoga, all that, that's great. But a lot of caregivers don't have time for self-care. Self-compassion is in the moment when they're feeling stressed, when they're feeling overwhelmed, when they're actually resonating with the suffering of the people they're caring for. They need to be able to turn their lens inward as well as outward. It's not either or. You know, you just, in addition to caring for someone else, they also need to care for themselves, especially the difficulty and stress and pain and overwhelm of being a caregiver. And you can actually just do that in the moment internally. You can say, wow, this is really hard right now. You know, it's, you know, and you kind of give yourself that warmth. You validate your own pain. You remember you aren't alone and you're kind to yourself. And what it does is it reduces burnout and it increases um, compassion satisfaction. It actually allows you to enjoy giving um, more, more uh, fully. One of the things that Chris Germer spoke about that you bring, you're bringing it to mind is deep breathing in which you breathe in one for me, one for you. Yes. In for me, out for you. It's almost like you, you just hold that person with you as you're doing the deep breathing, which may be the best you can do for both of you. Yes, exactly. But but it's actually very powerful because, you know, we, we all have mirror neurons, which means we're affected by their internal mind state, but they're affected by our internal mind state. So giving yourself compassion for, for the pain and overwhelm of being a caregiver gives you a calmer and more loving state of mind, which actually helps the person you're caring for. You know, mm-hmm. so it, it's like some people think it's selfish to focus on yourself. That's based on a misunderstanding of the fact that what I cultivate internally impacts you and what you have going on internally impacts me. So to leave ourselves out of the equation and just focus on caring for others, you know, you actually aren't helping others because they're picking up on how distressed and burnt out you are. It's true. It's true. One thing you and Chris wrote that I, I used for caregivers is this little line. 
I'm not the cause of this person's suffering, nor is it entirely within my power to make it go away, even though I wish I could. Moments like this are difficult to bear, yet I may still try if I can. So you just stop to kind of own what's real, and then maybe you do the breathing. But I'm loving what you're saying that with, as you say, the mirror neurons, where you're at is where your, your patient, your spouse, or whoever you're caregiving is going to be also. That's right. Yeah. And, it, and it's just so powerful. It really is. We're going to take a break, Kristen. Um, folks, we'll be taking a break and we'll be coming right back. You've been listening to Dr. Kristen Neff. She's talking to us all about self-compassion, the application to caregivers. And we're going to speak about her new book on the other side of this break, Fierce Self-Compassion. Stay with us. We'll be right back. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Have you ever experienced the joy of living? Not just, not just, not just, not just aspects of your life, but the true joy of life itself. Very sure has. You could call him an ambassador of joy. From a successful entrepreneur to becoming a quadriplegic due to a rare disease to his ongoing recovery through swimming and physical rehabilitation, Barry now presents his gifts to others as host of The Joy of Living. All you need to do is tune in. Listen live every Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Variety Channel. Tune in every Friday to get your weekend kickoff early. Join the legendary G. Keith Alexander for What's Hot Harlem America. The flagship show of the new Harlem America Digital Network has something for everyone. From the latest in entertainment to empowerment, health and wellness, and more, we'll bring you a variety of fresh viewpoints, voices, and ideas. What's Hot Harlem America with G. Keith Alexander can be heard every Friday at 1 p.m. in New York and 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Moving forward can be difficult to do sometimes. There is always something going on. Many times, nobody else knows exactly what you're going through. If you are experiencing pain or loss, even something unexplained that is missing in your life, you'll want to tune into Go For It with host Joe Hausman. Joe and her guests will show you laughter and love. Sometimes you just need something a little positive in your week. Make that spot Thursday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. What are the labels that identify us? Who are we and how do we figure out our place in the world? Do we own our narrative? If you were to create your biography today, what would it say about you? Listen for Dropping In with host Diane Dewey, the author of the award-winning memoir, Fixing the Fates. Diane and her guests will give their version of finding themselves. Find out about your authenticity by dropping in every Friday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time and 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You are listening to Psych Up Live. Join in our conversation today by calling Dr. Suzanne Phillips or her guest at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. 
You may also send an email to radiohostphillips at gmail.com. Now, back to Psych Up Live. Hi, folks. Welcome back. We're here with Dr. Kristen Neff. We've been talking about self-compassion, mindful self-compassion. And now we're in store for a treat in that Kristen is going to be talking to us about her new book, Fierce Compassion. And I'll just share that. What, what I love about Kristen's work is just as you can't assume self-compassion means being soft or being weak um, or just focusing on the negative, in her new book, Fierce Compassion, fierce has some very interesting meaning that's applicable and is as expansive and continues the expanding of coping skills much as self-compassion does. Tell us about fierce compassion, Kristen. Right. Okay. So, uh, fierce. It can be fierce compassion for others, or fierce compassion for ourselves. Fierce self-compassion. So, so there's really two sides of compassion. I call it the fierce and the tender side. Or you can also use the yin and the yang metaphor. So, um, yin tenderness is more about kind of this gentle nurturing energy. It allows us to accept ourselves as we are, you know, with our imperfection. It's um, a really kind of, again, more of a feminine energy. Um, But there's, but, you know, for instance, if if your source of suffering is the fact that you are in a second, the second story of a building and a fire is broken out underneath you, you don't want to just be with yourself. You might have to do something really brave, like jump out the window to save your life. You know, or if you're a firefighter, you know, compassion sometimes takes action. It takes bravery. It takes doing something. It takes protecting people. And that's a really important side of compassion that sometimes we forget. And so um, that's more the the young or um, fierce side of compassion, which is doing whatever we need to uh, to help people, whether it's other people or ourselves. And we need both. We need to balance the yin and the yang. Um, And so unfortunately, what's happened with some gender roles is that women are allowed to be tender and nurturing, but they aren't allowed to be fierce. And men are allowed to be fierce, but they aren't allowed to be tender and nurturing. Mm -hmm. And yet to be healthy, happy human beings, we all need both, just depending on sometimes we need to accept ourselves as we are. Sometimes we need to accept other people as they are. But sometimes we need to take a stand. Sometimes we need to say, you know, what you're doing is not okay. Or with ourselves, what I'm doing is not okay. Right. So in terms of how we go about alleviating suffering, there's a lot of different ways to do that. Um, And again, unfortunately, because of the way we're raised, um, we don't have all those forms available to us, depending on if we're raised as a man or a woman. So I'm, I'm really all about helping us to break free of those restrictive roles that actually inhibit us from being able to find, you know, and use, utilize and integrate both fierce and tender self-compassion. So is this what you might be thinking of? So recently um, in a study about workplace bullying, um, a tremendous number of people face workplace, workplace bullying. Yes. And the one factor that seems to um, at least reduce the impact is social connection. But very often everyone's afraid to speak up because then they stand to be bullied or in some way suffer from having taken a stand against the manager, the boss, whoever. But yes. even their compassion to the person, leaving a note, asking do they want to speak at lunch, you want to go out somewhere to talk, made a very big difference in the findings. So are you saying 
So part of fierce compassion is not only in terms of taking a stand if I am, maybe I'm the person being bullied. And mm-hmm. maybe maybe that would mean I'd ask a friend to go out to lunch because I know I've got to talk about this. I don't know if that means only that I take on the boss. What would you say? Right. So the thing is, we always we always need both fierce and tender self compassion, right? So in other words, if this, if you're being bullied, you need some tender self compassion to help you deal with the pain of that. It really hurts when someone's like that with you. We need to be kind of accepting, gentle, nurturing toward ourselves to help ourselves heal with the, the pain of that. And um, and part of that may be getting the support you need, like going out with a friend. Um, but also sometimes it might it means taking a stand, right? And so how how we take a stand may depend on the circumstances. If it's your boss, you may not be able to confront your boss as as directly as you might like to. So again, you know, kind of how we go about doing this takes wisdom and it depends on the context. But the ability to hold your back up straight and not just submit, right? Not just just take it in, internalize it, but to say this is not unfair. I mean, I mean, sorry, this is not fair. And maybe if there you if you have a way to go to other people higher higher ups in the business to actually make a stand. So so part of caring for ourselves is also taking a stand. We don't want to just be passive doormats. That's not what compassion is, right? Um, and again, how we do that is just going to depend on the circumstance. But so we need we need both tender and fierce compassion for others as well. Right? I also, you can draw a boundary with your boss, but it doesn't mean you have to hate them or call them names. <laughs> well, there's also, I guess I, you're, you're certainly saying this. You see, if you do take a fierce step and speak to the manager and it doesn't go well at all, compassion toward yourself is your staying power. That is, okay, I gave it a try. I feel embarrassed. Human people, you know, I'm human to feel embarrassed. Uh, it's not the end of the world. So that it seems to me that if you could have loving kindness to yourself and self-compassion after you fail at going to that manager, if you right. have staying power, you might come up with another way to do it. Exactly. That's right. So if we just if we just submit, if we just give up, we just let ourselves be bullied and let everyone else be bullied, where are we? I mean, look at our society today, right? Because there's a lot of problems in society, and it's not going to work just to be totally submissive and to say, okay, that's fine, you can bully me, you know, I'm I'm not going to rock the boat, because the boat needs to be rocked, you know, there's there's a lot of things that aren't okay, and so we need that, like, spark in our soul to be able to stand up and say, hey, that's not okay, at the same time that we also need this tenderness to where when we say that's not okay and we get knocked down, then, you know, we're nurturing to ourselves to kind of strengthen ourselves and to get back up again. Mm. And, you know, and so there aren't easy answers, and I'm not pretending that there are easy answers about what exactly to do in any particular situation because it's complicated. But what I do know is that we need to be able to rely on both energies. It's not just about being, you know, kind of soft and nurturing and, and accepting. Sometimes we need to actually take a strong stand. Um, and the, so the ability to have access to both is really, really important. Um, and again, like I said, one of the problems is gender socialization inhibits our ability to access both of these crucial energies, uh, which is a problem and something I really think needs to change. Mm-hmm. So what made you feel that this was the prompt for your, your next book? What, was, there a, was there a tipping point, Kristen? 
Well, there was, to be honest, I, I someone very close to me, um, I, I, I turned out there was a sexual harassment situation that got me really angry, <laughs> you know, and I think part of this whole movement of the Me Too movement, um, the Black Lives Matter movement, um, all these social justice movements, which are really rising up to say, you know, hey, we can't do the, the things the same way we've been doing them. It's not okay. And I realize that that's a form of compassion. You know, that, 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 that if we really care about ourselves, we need to stand up for ourselves. If we really care about others, we need to stand up for them. And so for me, my, my root in came from, you know, seeing how women especially have been socialized. You know, we're allowed to be mama, but we have another side. Not only are we mama, and we're, we are kind, nurturing people, but we're also mama bear, fierce mama bear. You know, that's also part of our true nature. And again, also for men, the fact that there's, you know, being tender or vulnerable is so, is so not allowed. And that, that leads to a lot of toxic behavior. And so that's really the reason I I. I started to expand this, especially because people have this idea that self-compassion is weak. Um, and of course it's not, it's incredibly powerful and strong. So I just wanted to articulate the other side of self-compassion to help um, get rid of these misconceptions that it's just about tender nurturing. It's it's also about, you know, being a badass when you need to, standing up mm-hmm. for yourself, you know. Mm-hmm. Well, the- the, the really powerful part also is, you know, the ability to uh, be kind to yourself and others who are taking the stand. People have asked people with any of these movements, uh, don't you wish it had happened a long time ago or don't you wish it was happening quicker, whether it's women's rights, um, Black Lives Matter. And the people with staying power have said, Mau, I appreciate that I was able to make an effort. If you keep making the effort, someday something will happen. But you have to have some ability to have self-compassion for the disappointments along the way, Chris. Exactly. Exactly. You need both. And and so the, the compassion for the disappointment is the tender self-compassion. Mm-hmm. But the staying power and saying this is not okay is also self-compassion. They're both self-compassion because they are both ways to alleviate suffering. Right? So... So I'm so glad we got a chance to talk about that. Tell us, when is that book coming out, Chris? It's coming out in June. Okay. Yeah, and the the subtitle is Fierce Self-Compassion. And this one's aimed at women. Men need it too, but I'm just writing for my sisters. Okay. Fierce Self-Compassion, How Women Can Harness Kindness to Speak Up, Claim Their Power, and Thrive. Nice. Okay. Now, where can our listeners find you to access some of your courses online as well as your books? If you just Google self-compassion, you'll find my website. It's selfcompassion.org. But you can, you know, I'm I'm the first thing that pops up. So Google okay. self-compassion and you'll find my website and then you can get information there. Okay. Um, Kristen, I'm so glad you came back to Psych Up Live. It's such an important time with such wonderful information. I want to thank you again for being our guest today. Oh, thank you, Suzanne. It's been lovely. I want to remind my listeners that you can hear this show and any show as a podcast. This show today with Kristen Neff will be a podcast by 6 p.m. Eastern, and it'll be on my host site, my website, and every one of the platforms that carry podcasts, iTunes, Stitcher, Apple, Google Play, Spotify, Amazon, Alexa, you know them. Please drop me a comment or a question at radiohostphillips at gmail.com. 
Um, until next week, please be safe. Please wear masks. Thanks and be listening. Thank you for tuning in to Psych Up Live. Please join Dr. Suzanne Phillips for another edition of our programming next Thursday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Until then, be well and be listening.